The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you for joining us at church today. I'm truly thrilled to know that God has brought you here for a purpose. And I know that that purpose is great. I know that he has a good plan for you today. And I hope that we get to experience that together. We are in Luke chapter 10. We started that chapter last week. If you were with us, you heard the amazing story of how Jesus called 72 people to be sent out as his delegates into Judea to pave the way for him to go on a Judean tour, each town, each community, each village, to proclaim one powerful message. The kingdom of God is now. It's here. You need to prepare your hearts. You need to be ready to respond. And as those disciples went out, they went out with the power of Jesus and they saw amazing things happen. They were received in some communities. They were kicked out of others. But at the end of the mission trip, they came back. And that's where we pick it up today in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. We don't know how long it was in between Jesus sending them out and them coming back. Luke doesn't tell us. And Luke doesn't necessarily write chronologically. So other things could have happened before they came back, and then we pick it up here. But in verse 17, we see what happens as the disciples come back to report about their mission trip. And it's just like anyone who's ever been on an international mission trip. You come back changed, you come back excited, and you come back wanting everyone who didn't go to hear all the wonderful stories that happened while you were on the mission field. It's no different. You can almost sense it. You can almost sense it in their report, this joy, this excitement. You can't believe what happened in Jesus just kind of smiling, going, I, I, I can't. I can't imagine what happened. But we, we had a team at Summit. We had a team in Honduras just a few weeks ago, and they came back, and Nathan Tate, our associate pastor, he, he led that trip. And just hearing the excitement in his voice, I, I almost felt bad because I couldn't picture it. He couldn't do enough in the words to explain to me what God did and how his team worked together. And he's, he's just wanting to tell anyone and everyone, and I get that excitement. And that's what we see today in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says this, the 72 returned with joy. They were elated. And they said, they said, Lord, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They did. You, you sent us out with power to heal and to preach. And, and we killed that. The sick were healed. Uh, we preached in the communities that they heard. Some even responded. But you'll never believe this. The demons, the, the demons in the communities, that they would just cower at our presence. Now, now, now we're, we're humble. We know it was because of your name. We know that you sent us out with the power. And so, so you get the glory. But it was awesome. It was incredible. I mean, if, if you're putting yourself in the moment, you can just hear it. I don't know if all 72 were back reporting or there were just a couple. It doesn't tell us, but it says this. They were pumped at what they'd seen, at what they'd been able to accomplish. And the thing that stood out to them was how the evil spirits, how the demons responded to their presence, responded to their preaching in the name of Jesus. But, but after they have given their thanks for getting to be a part of Team Jesus. Jesus goes, hey, you want to know what's awesome? Let me paint an even bigger picture for you of what I saw. 
Let me paint a picture of what I saw because of your labor, because of your mission. This, this is what happened in my mind. Verse 18, Jesus replied, I saw Satan. I saw the dark angel, Satan, fall like lightning from heaven. Now, we have to remember chronologically that this event, Satan did fall from heaven, but this happened long, long, long ago. So I don't think that Satan literally fell again. I think what Jesus is saying here is a beautiful figurative statement. Just like you can see lightning from so far away. Every time one of the disciples had victory over a demon, over one of Satan's cohort, every time it was like Satan fell a little bit more. And Jesus, even though he wasn't in the community, he wasn't in the village teaching and preaching and casting out demons and healing, he wasn't with the 72, he saw Satan fall. He saw his power, his empire, his dominion. He saw it crumbling at the work and the labor that the 72 were able to do. It was a huge victory for Team Jesus. But now, in their excitement, Jesus is always, is always going to teach. And he says, I need you to remember two things. Okay, I know you're pumped and you should be pumped, but I got to make sure you remember two things. You don't let your emotions run away with you. Number one, you need to remember where your power came from. Okay, this is very important. You had huge success, but you have to remember where your power came from. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. I... I have given you authority. Okay, it came from me. I've given you authority, and then it's going to get weird here, I'm sorry, to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. L look at that. To overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Now, the idea of trampling on snakes and poisonous insects and overcoming the power of the enemy, all, all of this, what it's saying, very clearly, this also is not literal. It is saying that any dangerous situation, any situation where there is evil power there, you can walk into that with confidence for I am with you. And ultimately, because I have conquered evil, you will be able to overcome evil. It's, it's a picture of the power of God. Remember where your power comes from. Now, and this isn't a new picture. Okay, this idea, this image of trampling over evil, trampling over danger, it, it's all throughout Scripture. It starts way back in Genesis 3.15. We see it in Romans 16.20 that says this, the God of peace, the God of peace, and it's so good that that is who God is, will soon crush Satan underneath his feet. It's imagery. Remember where your power is. Remember what you can accomplish in me. Nothing can harm you if you know where your power comes from. I love this, and, and we, we have to talk about this for just two seconds. There are people in small denominations, mostly in the Appalachians, that believe literally this is true. And so they go to Mark chapter 16, and they pick up snakes to show their faith. Um, church... This is, this is not a literal testing of your faith. So please don't try it. This is a picture of the power of God and the authority that he has over evil. The second thing that Jesus makes sure they remember is to remember your priorities. I know you're pumped right now. You're excited. You should be. We should remember these victories and with true joy. But it's your priorities 
that will get you through the times in ministry, the times in life that are hard. You're on high right now, but you may not stay there. There's going to be seasons where you don't have this victory. And what is going to sustain you then? Here's what Jesus says, verse 20. However, as as excited as you are, do not rejoice that the Spirit submitted to you. He's not saying you can't. Okay, he's not saying that. He's saying don't rejoice just in that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names are in the book of life. Your victory was great. I celebrate it with you. But that's not the goal. That's not the number one priority. Small victory should be remembered. Glory should be given. But the victory that leads to your salvation, that's the big one. That's the big one. Revelation 20, 12 and 15. Okay, so 12 and 15. Here we go. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Verse 15. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We talked about that last week, the lake of judgment. And Jesus is telling his 72, you killed it. I'm so proud of you. But don't get ahead of yourself. And it's easy to do in ministry. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't think that the win is one great trip. Don't think that the win is a person coming forward for prayer. Don't think that the win is someone getting baptized. Don't, don't. Believe that that's the win. These are great victories. Stuff to be celebrated. But the win, the priority, is that because of the work of Jesus, your name is securely written in the book of life. Because for it to not be there, that's bad. It's terrifying. But your name's there. To the 72, your name's there. And that's what will sustain you. That's what will get you through the hard seasons. That's what will get you through the times in ministry where you don't see the victory. Is that God still loves you. He's still absolutely for you. And he's done the work to save you and seal your name in that beautiful book of life. Something very cool happens next. Okay, so let's let's recap. In order to step into this next moment, understanding its power. The 72 return, obviously excited. They report, we healed, we preached. Demons cowered in our presence. Jesus says, I agree with everything you're saying. I saw Satan fall. Don't forget though, the most important things where your power came from, that you have been called by God into a saving relationship with him. Don't forget those things. And then it's as if Jesus feels the weight and the magnitude of the moment and he breaks into spontaneous worship. And I'm not saying that everyone has experienced this, but I can tell you personally, there have been several times in my life Not as many as I wish there would be, but there have been several times in my life where the circumstances, all the pieces just came together and I couldn't help but praise. I couldn't help but show gratitude to God the Father. And this is what's happening. His disciples came back. They're so excited. He's seen Satan defeated. And here's what he says in verse 21. At that time, Jesus who was full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. 
I worship you. I exalt you. I praise you, God, Lord of heaven and earth, filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. We have to do one quick thing here. There's a lot of manuscripts, okay, meaning early writings of the Bible that don't have the word holy there. So it could just be the Spirit. A lot have then argued that it was really the Spirit of God. So it's as if Jesus senses God's Spirit close in that moment and turns his attention there. So feeling joy because God's presence is here where his people were doing the work, where, where his church was beginning to be formed. God's spirit is there and Jesus turns and acknowledges that, the presence of the Father, and says, you should be praised for all of this. And then he goes on, okay? He goes on in verse 21. Because you, Father, have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. There's all these scholars in these communities that they didn't accept it because they, they know too much for their own good. They, they aren't willing to accept this revelation that you are here now. So it's been hidden from them, but you have revealed them. You've revealed these things, your power, your love, your kindness, your mercy, your forgiveness, your salvation. You have revealed them to the little children, those who are open to faith those who have not been corrupted and polluted by their own pride. You have revealed it to them. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This victory is because it was all part of your sovereign plan for those who were willing to believe to come into faith. And these 72, they got to be a part of it. And their excitement, Lord, is because you willed it to be. And for that, we thank you and we praise you. You were pleased to show these people who you are through me, Jesus. And they desire to know you as creator and sustainer and as father. Verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my father. So Jesus is done with his spontaneous worship and he begins again to speak to the 72 all things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son, except me. But the others who know who the Father is are those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Those who have received revelation. Those who have been given the keys to the kingdom. They have seen the truth. Those who know the Father, not the idea of him, but know him personally, relationally, are those to whom Jesus, the Son, has chosen to reveal him. And you, you, 72, you, in the community where I'm about to go preach, you have been chosen to get a knowledge, a revelation that is greater than any other. And that is a knowledge and a revelation of who God is, his love, his mercy, his justice, his kindness. No one knows except for the one that Jesus chose to reveal. Now, Jesus is saying, I, I've shown you the way to rejoice here tonight. And I've told you that the main reason you should be rejoicing is because of God's love and, and my presence, my work, okay, that we accomplished together in these communities. And, and I would say, church, right now, today, we need to do the same. And, and so I start by just asking, do do you know God? Through your faith in Jesus, has God been revealed to you? Not completely. We can't know him completely, but, 
Do you know him as more than a concept or an idea? Do, do you know him as a father? Do, do you know him? Do you know him? Because I think when we do, when we do know him, there's a spontaneous rejoicing that comes from that knowledge, from that relationship, from that presence. Because his presence is so powerful. His intimacy with us is so powerful. It it even got Jesus. In that moment of high fives and chest bumps, Jesus just stops and and he rejoices, he praises because he sensed the spirit of God, he sensed the presence of God there. We, we gather, you're, you're, you could be in your living room, but we, we gather not just to be shoulder to shoulder with others, but we gather to invite in the presence of God, to experience him, to acknowledge him, to know him, and then to respond in worship. Jesus just piles on here, okay? He goes, knowing the Father is the greatest thing, the greatest thing. But I, I want you to know this. You're blessed to know me. <laughs> you, you're, standing, you're standing in front of someone pretty special. Now, that's an incredibly, incredibly arrogant statement, unless you're God. A- unless you're Jesus and you are the Son of God. That's an incredibly arrogant statement, but that's exactly what Jesus is going to say. You, you, you don't know how special this moment is. Verses 23 and 24. Then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. What they see is him. Consider yourself blessed to be looking at me. For I tell you that many prophets, many kings, wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And they wanted to hear what you're hearing, but they did not hear it. So many have sought this and desired this, but they did so in the wrong way. They did so without humility and without faith, and and they were relieved of their desires. But you, you're getting something special right now. Many would do anything to be where you are right now. So what I encourage you to do then, Jesus speaking to the 72, would you acknowledge the goodness of my presence? Would you acknowledge where you're at? And I think far too often we, the church, we fail to see the high value of Jesus' presence. We fail to acknowledge that he is right here with us, leading, guiding, sustaining, rejoicing with us, weeping with us, carrying our burdens so that God might get the glory. He's right here. And far too often we fail to acknowledge we are standing in the presence of holiness. We're standing in the presence of infinite love. And we just go on about our lives. And so what is Jesus telling us to do today? I think, church, he's telling us to rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in him. And there's several things that have already been listed, several things that we can rejoice in. Should we rejoice and praise in successful mission? Sure. Absolutely, yes. 
When things go well and victory is there and Satan falls, we should rejoice in that. We should praise God for that. Should we rejoice that our names are written in the book of life? Uh-huh. Yes. If you struggle to find joy in this life, and trust me, there's not a lot of stuff in this world that's going to bring you that joy. If you struggle, then Think bigger picture. My name is sealed and secured in the book of life because of the work of Jesus. I will rejoice in that. That's one of the reasons why we offer communion every week to our church is to be reminded of the work of Jesus that allows us in faith to be written into the book of life. Should we rejoice in that? Yes. Should we rejoice in being in the presence of God? Yes. And in fact, I would go so far as to say, when we acknowledge that we are in the presence of God, not just the idea of God, but the presence of God, when we acknowledge that, there is nothing our souls can do but rejoice. I, I, would, I would argue. Now, we, we in the flesh can, can squelch that. And, and I see that. I see that in the church so often. People... Wanting to rejoice, wanting to praise, we're going like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's accepted. But that deep yearning, that desire to say thank you, that desire to worship and respond and to praise, that's coming because your soul knows that you are in the presence of God. Your heart is stirred by so many things. And how often do we mute that? just because we don't feel comfortable. Today, as we conclude, I, I want you to figure out how you can best rejoice. How you can best live out that gratitude and joy. I, I want you to figure out how your response today, wherever you're at, I want you to figure out what that looks like and, and how that might happen and how that may spill into tomorrow and the day after and the day after that but I would be amiss not to circle back and speak to those who wonder right now, listening to this message, is my name in that book? Because you read that passage out of Revelation and, and it talks about this book and, and it says if your name's not in that book, then, then there's judgment. Literally, there's a lake of fire waiting for you. So I want my name in there, but how do I know? It's truly quite simple. You believe and trust in the work of Jesus. That is his death on a cross, his conquering of death three days later through the resurrection. You believe that through those two things, he has given you forgiveness of all of your sins. Through faith in him, you might trade places with him you become righteousness, his righteousness, and he takes on your iniquity, your sin. You trade places and God looks at you and sees his son. And that all comes through your faith, your trust, and your obedience in him as your Lord and Savior. If you have done that, if you've done that, then I believe in beautiful handwriting. Your name has been written into that book of life. And if you haven't, then there's no better time than now for you to make that decision 
to put your faith and your trust in him, the one who saves, the one who beautifully writes names in the book of life. I pray today that church, you would rejoice. You would rejoice because of all that God has done and because your name is in that book. Father, may we come before you. May we acknowledge your presence. May we see you for who you are, your love, your mercy, and your kindness. God, may we see the work that you've done in giving your one and only son on our behalf. May our faith be soundly in you. May you write our names beautifully in that book. And may you call us all into relationship with you that would stir our souls into joyful rejoicing in you and what you've done. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.